I think you should introduce us since you're the host. Okay. Hi, this is Nick Dawson, the editor-in-chief of Talkhouse Film, and, and we're here today to have a sort of slightly unusual episode. Ellie, I'll, I'll let you explain what this is, because this is kind of your idea. I'm Elia Einhorn. I produce the Talkhouse Film Podcast and host the Talkhouse Music Podcast. Nick, we just wanted to take a moment to sort of look back on 2016, which was a huge year for our site, uh, both on the written side and on the podcast side, and break down a few of our favorite moments, because there's we, we put out a lot of podcasts on the film side last year, too many to talk about, but there were, on the one hand, some of our most popular episodes ever, uh, for example, Kid Cudi and Paul Rubens, yep. which we're going to talk about. That was awesome. And then there were some um, that, that, just for me personally, were my favorites, you know, uh, Michel Gondry and Terrence Nance. So I just wanted to take the opportunity to sit down together and really look back at, at what was sort of a wild year for us here at the Talkhouse Film Podcast. Yeah, it was a really good year. And, and I have to sort of give a, a little sort of caveat at the start, because I think that to sort of use a bit of a, a metaphor. It's kind of like the stuff that we're featuring today are kind of the breakout hits, but sometimes these podcasts are albums where all the songs are great, but maybe not one moment pops in the same way that some of these do. So it's like, we're not, we're definitely not playing favorites. Oh, totally. I mean, our uh, engineer, Mark Yoshizumi, one of his favorites was Amber Tamblin with Aisha Tyler an amazing talk that people really love, but that we just don't have time to go into right now. Yeah. And uh, and I'll mention to all the listeners, if you've missed any episodes, feel free to go back to our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash the talkhouse for all of the talkhouse music and film podcasts. So anything we talk about here and anything you might be curious uh, about that you missed this year. Yeah. The thing I realized, I think I was present for all of these moments. And that's not true, not for the Max Landis one. But having edited all of them, sometimes it feels like I was there. But uh, a lot of these moments that we're, we're going to feature are, I don't know, it's the thing that you look for when you, when you make a podcast. It's like you're sitting there and you're like, holy shit, this just happened. And, and it's like we're recording this and this is going out into the world. It's pretty cool. You hit it on the head exactly, man. The, the way I think about it is the most magical moments come when it's almost as if the conversations, participants, it just seems as if they're sitting on bar stools, drink in hand, catching up on life away from the rolling cameras, yep. you know, away from anyone taping the conversation, but we're taping the conversation. So yep. it's these sort of intimate glimpses that we would never get otherwise. And and if it's all right with you, I'd love to, to start with one of those moments. Um, sure. To me, one of the most powerful moments uh, from this last year's a uh, crop of podcasts came during Michel Gondry and Terrence Nance talking. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could mention a little bit about the film that Gondry was in town promoting. Sure. Uh, the, the movie's called Microbe and Gasoline, and it's, it's sort of a, it's a very personal movie for him. It's a coming-of-age love story, and it's sort of based on his, his personal experience of being in love with, with his best friend, a girl, um, and having a male best friend, who is kind of the person who's helping him grow up, but uh, it's an unrequited love story. And uh, I really love the movie. And, and it's funny, I remember Elliot, you and I and, and Terrence had breakfast beforehand. And I forget, maybe I'm like fabricating this memory, but I, I have this memory that he'd like written a few notes and he, was, he said he was going to ask him about his love life. And I was like, this could be interesting. Because like, you know, Gondry's not the most 
forthcoming guy always. But there, he was open in this conversation in a way that was like completely unexpected. And, and I think it was Terrence's openness totally that led to that. Terrence definitely opened the gates on this. And, and, and I think uh, in my experience reading Gondry's interviews, he's definitely an artist where you see his heart more through his films than right. by what he as the artist is saying in an interview. Yeah, I think that's a perfect place to just let the clip play. When I was watching the movie, I was watching it and I was thinking of his dilemma with this with Laura, 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 and I was thinking, you know, I thought about um, the main character in Eternal Sunshine and the couple at the end of We and I, and like all the sort of stilted romance, and I was like. What is your love life like? Like that was my main. Thing. What <laughs> like, is my love what life is your, like? Yeah, like why it's a disaster. <laughs> is it a disaster or is it like a ride? Is it like a roller coaster? You know what I mean? Like is yeah. it like an earthquake or a roller coaster? Earthquake. So, so you have no control. You didn't even get on. It just happens. You mean in general or for the, in this? I guess it? right now, like while you were making this movie, what was it like? I can't even talk about it. <laughs> it leaves you speechless. Okay. <laughs> all, right, all right. I say my girlfriend was pregnant and she dumped me. See how bad it can be? <laughs> that is the... I say it here because she would never uh, hear it. I, I hope she won't. Wait, wait. She was Sorry. pregnant with you all's child? Sorry, with, with, with you, my child, yes. Your child and she yeah, dumped and we're you. We're still trying to make it work, but this is a real coaster. So what? <laughs> so yeah, okay, all sperm, my questions are answered. <laughs> wow. So is that? But is that is that typical of like your whole? Is that well, situation? This, this is one that's really sort of fun to talk about, mm -hmm. and you can describe <laughs> the, the gravity of the situation in one sentence. <laughs> so that's why I, I I talk about it like that. No, and each film I've done reminds me of uh, a breakup or uh, which generally is me being dumped <laughs> uh, so it's painful to watch them because they're all attached to this relationship that end up uh, maybe I should draw a conclusion and try to change something <laughs> but I'm not smart enough uh, yeah I think so <laughs> <laughs> now I mean like do you feel like I know I'm not monogamous, uh -huh. so like I know that I don't process the world from a monogamous framework, even if I am just with one person yeah. at, at any given moment. So do you do you feel like? I mean, at that moment, you clearly felt monogamous, but do you feel like your life has played out in a way that? Well, I think that? how it works for me is like if I'm in love with a woman mm -hmm. or girl. Uh, there is this pattern in when I uh, hope for the relationship to happen I'm totally monogamous because a any other girl uh, don't uh, it's not up to the same level mm -hmm. in, in my uh, view uh, then the relationship if it happens same and then there is moment where uh, the relationship is not based on uh, unbalanced 
love or desire it balances out and you just having good time mm -hmm. then I can start to look around and fancy other girl not that I'm gonna do a, a move <laughs> but I think but I think uh, my issue is uh, I think love is this moment of frustration of not getting the girl uh, mm. I want and then when the relationship works which happens sometimes uh, <laughs> that should be the real love but mm -hmm. I don't see it this way so love is the conflict love is the it's a need, is unrequited uh, inherently. It's yeah, like, man, that's terrible. I know. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for saying that. Nick and I both made the same edit. This was part of both of our notes about our favorite moments of this year. And I think it's because we have one of the leading lights of cinema in our time really opening his heart and contextualizing his sort of body of work in a way that we've never heard before yeah yeah you and i were in that were in the room when this this happened and uh it was it was really eye-opening or ear-opening i guess to be to to be there and to be hearing that and and the podcast ended with terence and, and gondry uh like pledging to go jam together which was just awesome and uh, they wanted I, to play some music together yeah yeah, yeah. So, because they're both musicians as well as filmmakers, so yeah, that was really cool. And and um, and they had never met before that point, of course. And can we go on? Because I, I was thinking, like, it might make sense to, as a nice thematic link, to to have two other people who had not met previously as well, which is Ad Bryant and Jesse Klein. Which was such a great talk. That one took place as part of our series at Samsung Eight Three Seven, which is Samsung's flagship store in the Meatpacking District in New York City. I mean, it's it's funny because. We got two from that Samsung series, uh, this one, and then Chris Gathard and, and uh, Tim Heidecker, which we'll come to uh, in a moment. But it was weird having comedians, because both pairings are, are two comedians. And comedians are so used to just basically saying whatever they want to, to be able to swear. And the rules of the store when we were doing these events was basically no cursing and nothing... Nothing too blue. As too blue. Like yeah, we we sort of told the guests talk show rules. Talk show rules. Talk show rules because there were kids walking around. You know, it's a it's sort of a very cool virtual reality station there. So, yeah, there's families walking around, and and at the same time you have these comedians, like you say, who are yep. used to saying whatever they want. Now, Nick, could you tell the listeners just a little bit about? Adi and Jesse. Sure. Well, I mean, Adi, I think, in a way, is she's much more the the sort of in front of the camera talent. She's from SNL, and she's kind of guested on uh, Documentary Now, and and she was on Harrison P and Broad City, and she's just one of my favorite comic performers, probably. And and Jesse Klein is she works on Transparent right now. She's I think Amy Schumer's best friend and also her her showrunner on Inside Amy Schumer. That's sort of where she really made her name. She was around before that, yeah. obviously, but that show has been a, a smash. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of um, helped elevate her to um, sort of the status that she's at right now. And she, she, she'd written a book of essays uh, called You'll Grow Out of It, which was coming out. And, and so it was a perfect opportunity to get the two of them together. And they follow each other on Twitter. And I always have this thing of like, oh, they, they must know each other. The comedy world is very small. But uh, AD is is New York and, and Jesse had used to be, but is not anymore. So she now lives in LA. And so they had never met. 
but they turned up both with their lattes and the, the, the kind of, I forget what it was, but they, they, they were like, oh, look, we're the same person. And, you know, they know so many of the same people. And this, this moment was, I think, literally the last five minutes of the podcast. And a lot of the moments we're featuring are from pretty late on. And I think it's telling that it's kind of when people have really kind of warmed up and opened up and, and sort of the chemistry is kicking in and you have these moments that are revelatory. So yeah, we, this is both of them sharing, and it's an example in a way that the Gondry Terence Nance thing is a little bit similar of people following each other's lead and being being vulnerable and and yeah. allowing themselves yeah. to be embarrassed in in a in a, a either a comic way or or a very sort of vulnerable way. Ooh, I have good questions. Like who who who's been like your big SNL host crush? I mean, it's, it's so no, it's not embarrassing, and I yeah. will do a full separate podcast about it. No, we finally found our topic. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you quite honestly, in a way that, like, I went into the week being like, oh, I don't know, I'm a fan, but, like, I don't care, and I left the week being like, I have been touched by an angel, yeah. and this man rocked youth. me to my core as Drake. Yes, please. Whoa. Like, that is very good to hear because Drake is also on my radar. Whoa, very cool and, to hear that we're sharing a radar. <laughs> and nice to know that he's not a disappointment because it almost seems too You know what? Perf. It almost is like fueled by the personality. Yeah. So then when, sure. when the looks are like just also like a bonus. Yeah. But it's Drake. You're yeah. like, oh, this is too much. Also, to bear. his name's Drake. I know. And he's Jewish. Oh, he's got it so going and on. And Canadian. Also, like you know, like at SNL, people come with assistants or whatever. He basically just brings like a group of friends, and they're also nice, and they're also cool, and they all like hang out all week, and like, really? yes, and. He like got he like got us a dinner one night and everyone like had dinner and all his friends were there and they like brought a little like sound system to like play music and a little candle to like set he the mood. He brought a little candle and like okay, that full just compassion. Set me off. They left the candle and I took it. <laughs> And I refuse to burn it. I just keep it in my house like a maniac. Okay, wait. Can I tell you I'm an scared. even more embarrassing story? Yes, please. This was That's the most humiliating thing I, I could ever tell, tell you. I shouldn't even tell the story because I think I actually could get in some sort of <laughs> that's trouble. That's how I feel right now. So no, please share candle, with me. Drake would love to know you have his candle. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, one of my faves uh, is um, Liev Schreiber. Oh, yeah. Liev. Liev. Yes. Liev. I yeah. live for it, and I don't know, but I like it. We have Schreiber yeah. of Ray Donovan and yes. many other things. Um, I just think he is basically like a lion on hind legs. <laughs> I love staring at him and Whoa. thinking about him and looking at him and watching him. <laughs> you and just turned me into Dom DeLuise. I'm like, let's Oh, <laughs> uh, just when when a man is so handsome, like I once saw Clive Owen at the Four Seasons gym in LA, and I was like, oh, he's a wolf on hind legs <laughs> in the best way. That's he's cool. also my top three. But anyway, so Liev Schreiber is like a longtime fave, and me and my one of my best friends have like together gone to see him on Broadway. He's an incredible talent. I don't want to, whatever. He's a piece of meat. I love yes. him. And um, so I'm like, why do I feel the need to be like? He's also good at his job. <laughs> Gives or whatever. So um, I, um, two weekends ago, I was in Portland, Oregon to do some whatever 
thing, but it was the first time I was away from my baby in like a long time, wow. which means I was psyched. Yes, you were <laughs> missed him very much, but also was like I I'm alive and I'm ready to I'm get alive. down. And well, by, by ready to get down, you mean I'm gonna go get lunch by myself at a restaurant and get super drunk at one. <laughs> PM. That's what I was doing because you don't get to do that as a mom. So I'm sitting alone, getting wasted, just so happy to have time by myself. And my friend out of the blue. This is a long story. The payoff of my number. I'm here for it. My friend, who is in the process of moving and therefore is digging out all the stuff in her apartment, she used to work for a casting director like 15 years ago. She found her old phone message pad oh god and she texts me a photo of the message pad that has Liev Schreiber's cell phone number on it and she's like I'm rock hard I right took now a- <laughs> she's like oh my god I once took a message from Liev Schreiber and I was like oh my god I was like is that still his number and she's like oh I don't know there's no way it's from 15 years ago and I was like well no one changes their cell phone number and she was like well I don't know I don't know if it's still his number and I was like well I'm calling it and she all caps was like what and I'm like calling we'll let you know how it goes and I'm like so drunk I'm 40 years old and I'm like Deep, doop, doop. and I'm just like I'm just gonna listen to his voice on oh his god. voicemail and hang up and then it rings like two times. Whoa, baby! And then, hello. <gasps> and he picked up the phone. Oh my god! And I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> I said, this was I had. <laughs> this is why I'm bad at improv. I said, hi, is David there? <laughs> and That's good. to create a conversation. Yes. And he said, David. And I said, yes, David. <laughs> And he said, I think you have the wrong number. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was acting. Good And I did it. And he said, no problem. And then we hung up. Oh, my God. But we spoke. Yeah, I'm high from it. Yeah. And then I was just like, what is my life? (laughs) What is my life? You were truly free in that moment. I was so, I felt more myself than I've ever been in my life. I was like, I think this is who I, this is the real me. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, amazing. Yeah. Sadly for 80, we know in 2017 something she could never have known then, which is that Drake is really a J-Lo man. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff that's happened since that podcast that is worse than that. So I think hopefully she can let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. Now, what was the vibe in, in the booth at Samsung during this conversation? This is really fun. I, I think there's like certain podcasts that you do where as an employee of the talk house, you're just desperately trying to not be on the tape. You're trying to not laugh. Oh, God, I know that feeling. Yeah. Every time we do one with Fred Armisen, this is my problem. Yeah. 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 I've kind of learned to perfect the the silent laugh. Like the, you got the, 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 the smile muscles before you, you, just, you just don't laugh. What you listeners can't see is Nick is contorting his it's face. It's a horrible, right now. horrible smile, but it's it's where it's got to go. Sort of a Joker esque yeah. visage. <laughs> 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 now, uh, on that note, we we had another one from uh, Samsung eight three seven. Two comedians, and and this one we sort of all got involved accidentally. Yes, uh, <laughs> this is Chris Gethard of 
so many things. His podcast has exploded since this yeah. happened. Yeah. Then he was promoting the Chris Gethard show, yeah, which had just kicked off and was sort of a new format. Yeah. So I feel like there's there's a thing that happens sometimes. Kind of happens often when two famous people get together. They're very friendly, but there's like this sort of very slight competitive thing with with Chris and Tim. They both have these reputations for being kind of like wacky. And, and this is Tim Heidecker. Tim Heidecker. Of right, Tim and Eric. Right, who had a, um, a, a record out. Yeah, we had a huge turnout for that. There, there must have been 100 kids in the bleachers watching their three-story screen that we were projecting the talk onto yeah. there. Yeah. Live. And I think that both of them sort of felt a responsibility to deliver, to give the people what they wanted. And, and the way that that manifested itself was, I think it's first like a couple of people they, they invited into the studio I think somebody was wandering past and they were like, we should get that person to come in. And right. then it, first they started running commentary yes. on people outside. And then they escalated it into, why don't we invite them into yeah. the booth? Like we're not being wacky enough. Right. And but, the booth is not, it's not a big booth there. It's maybe, you know, 15 by 15 or so. Yeah. And there's already a number of us in there. There's uh, a publicist or two. There's myself and we have an engineer from Samsung. And a big, in and a big desk. A big desk big with desk. a lot of equipment, turntables, yep. and yep. you know they often have DJs there. So this is a pretty tight space. If you can, as the listener, if you can picture this, yeah. And this was this was the final group of people, and we'd had sort of like twos and threes in at once, and then this was just like, let's get as many people in as possible. Right. They just kept inviting more and more people. Yeah. And and I tried to do sort of a revolving door thing, and, and you can hear as I was mixing this podcast there's just no way to cover up the sound. Yeah. I had to open the door to let people in. So I was standing at the door, Nick, of this booth, this clear booth, so people can see from outside. And like I say, we have, you know, 100 or so kids, fans watching. And I'm going, come in and don't swear. Right. Go out, thank you. Come in and don't swear. Go out, thank you. I'm sort of <laughs> hustling people in and out as as Chris and Tim are dictating. And all of a sudden, there's got to be, and, and there's a picture of this that we tweeted out at the time from the uh, talk house Twitter account, but there must have been 15, 17 people in there. I think it was, I think it was maybe 10 people. 300. There were like 300 300 people. people. Yeah. They were from Sparta. <laughs> so it was, you'll hear what happens. Take a listen. Okay. Hi, everyone. Can we all just yeah, say our names one by one? I'm Derek. I'm uh, Ben. Kevin. Will. Dom. I'm Nick. And let's get a nice five-part harmony. Ready? On uh, 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 okay. God only knows from one. King of the zombies. We got a God, shirt. King we of got the zombie a, shirt. Are you a horror freak? Uh, actually, my um, my ex-girlfriend's dad made made film shirts. And, okay. Uh, and so this I is got ben. one. You were ben. Yeah. Correct. Yes, Ben. Yes. yes. So I got one. But. Oh, that's great. He's, I have to tell you something. Yeah. I mean, this is a handsome guy. Oh, for anybody like, just listening, I don't know, this is a striking <laughs> and like, intimidatingly handsome man. Yeah, yeah. I'm like lost yeah. in his eyes. Yeah. Right <laughs> and stylish. You can't see his sneakers, but they're beat up in a really perfect oh, way. Really? And he's fit, too. Yeah, he's fit. like muscular. I noticed it. I, I noticed it. Very, but he's got glasses, so he's obviously a little intellectual. Stylish glasses, though. Stylish glasses. See-through glasses. Clear glasses. It's making the rest of you guys look like dog dirt. Sorry. You, I could deal with. Yeah. <laughs> well, the earrings got to go. Oh, yeah. no, they're new. Oh, why does anyone get earrings? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a new earring? That wasn't something you got in, like, sophomore year no. in high school? 
I hadn't got paid in a long time, and I wanted to celebrate, so I got my ears pierced. You, you, cool. You're celebrating not getting paid? No, I got paid. Okay. I, I hadn't been paid for a long time. I got like... How much does it cost a guy to get his ears pierced these days? Uh, like 30, 40 bucks? What'd you yeah. get paid? What was the, the big piercings. job? I, I was working on a, an underwear, com- a Chinese underwear commercial. <laughs> Were you modeling? Were you modeling it? No, no, no. It was a, it was a cartoon commercial. Um, yeah. It was for underwear that separates your penis from your balls. Ooh, I could see that being useful. No, being t- we're being told that will be edited out. <laughs> uh, let me try to restate that in language that might be appropriate. He said that his uh, no, I, I, we, we're on sitcom rules here. Although we violated <laughs> them liberally the thus far. You worked on an ad for underwear that separated different distinct portions of male genitalia. Oh, that's very well done. Thank you so much. <laughs> so yeah, wow. that was. Yeah, the, again, they were they were adhering to those tricky rules, and uh, you know Jesse and Eddie and Chris and Tim were both really really good at at, at modifying the way that they the way they would channel their something. humor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah and, and you know Jesse Klein in that last clip that we played, uh, you know, she talked about how she wished during her conversation with Liev, she wished she'd had some more uh, improv training. Well. Chris Gethard and Tim Heidecker, they've got that. I mean, these guys are so sharp. They're so on top of it. And, yep. and it was it was just so magical to watch them work the crowd the way they did. It, it was like being at a stand-up comedy show. And it was sort of cool the way that they reinterpreted what a podcast could be in that way. Yeah. I think I think Tim was getting bored. And that's I think that's maybe what makes a great comedian that you get bored very, very quickly. So you need to switch it up. You need to make it different you need to make it interesting you need to make it weird constant insanity yeah now talk about constant insanity we're gonna move on to another clip this one was recorded in los angeles yeah um this wasn't here in new york where we're based but this was joe dante and max landis (laughs) now if you listen to the full podcast you'll hear that max landis is not representing this clip but max landis was doing other things. He was in constant motion yep. the whole time. Nick, remind me, yeah, Joe we, Dante we runs this down. We have this on the Talk House's YouTube channel. We have a video of this that the, the engineer took video of. He was like doodling. He he had like Nerf darts that he was doodling on with markers and he was writing down, you know, stuff on a whiteboard. And uh, I don't know, it was, he, he's in constant motion. He is. And the interesting thing is, you would think that that would somehow show in the audio, in, in the sort of right. continuous conversation. You would just have no idea if, if Joe Dante hadn't, hadn't brought that up. So Nick, set up this next clip between Joe and Max. So, so here's the thing. Max Landis is, I, I said this in the intro to the podcast itself, like he is kind of much loved and maybe even more derided and, 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 and hated <laughs> among sort of Hollywood and fanboys in a way, maybe. But he's, he's a divisive figure. He is a character. And he's a, definitely a character. He is, he's, there's a lot of energy. Potentially and, hypomanic, I'm going to say. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But he manages to, to transform that into something pretty cool in, in the way that he pitches. Because when he pitches, it's, it's kind of, I, I personally find it really infectious. And I can understand that his level of enthusiasm in a room where, you know, you have a lot of nervous people coming in to pitch or a lot of maybe apathetic people or people who know their projects inside out. Max, is, he writes really quickly and he thinks really quickly. And, and I think that, you know, his ability to really transform that into something compelling is pretty cool. It's funny, as I said, we have a video of, of this moment and in the YouTube comments, uh, it's it was really 
interesting to see the way that people were divided on how they felt about it and also sort of their interpretation of how Joe Dante fell. So this, what we're talking about is... Um, so for those who don't know Joe Dante, if you've somehow been living under a rock, this is the guy who did these sort of amazing movies from my youth and, and maybe just a little before, but he did The Burbs, of course. He did uh, Inner Space. But what he's really known for is Gremlins and Gremlins 2. Yep. So in this moment, Max Landis has decided to pitch, to use his pitching skills on Joe Dante regarding his franchise. And people are pretty much polarized in terms of their interpretation of how Joe feels. They can see his face. And, you know, Joe and Max were friends. That's why they did this thing together. But it's funny, like, just to read you a couple of comments. And one of them is like, I want to see this now. Uh, like, as much as I prefer a non-found footage Gremlins film, this actually sounds pretty awesome. This sounds amazing. But then there's the people saying like, Dante's face when he starts in on his pitch is the personification of being polite. Dante is being so polite, but you can tell he wants to crawl out of his skin. To me, this is all people just going like, I personally can't stand it. I'm transferring all this stuff onto Joe. Let's take a listen. Did I ever tell you, you know, I pitched briefly on Gremlins. Did I tell you what my pitch was? Yeah. It starts as a, it's a found footage movie because they were like, we want to do Gremlins found footage. And I was like, that sounds like a terrible idea. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Because I realized if you got a Gremlin for Christmas, you would be filming it all, all the time. The time. <laughs> if you got a Mogwai. So my movie started with a kid getting two Mogwai, both of which are good. One seems bad, but they are both sweet. And it's this girl gets two Mogwai that don't get along. And she has trouble. She likes one of them more than the other one. There's sort of an ugly one that seems mean. And then she's filming them constantly. And then lo and behold, they get wet. And the gremlins multiply. And so for the first act of the movie, it's like a cute animal YouTube video. You know, and we get this good look, this look into these teenagers' lives through... I love writing found footage because it, it, it allows you to do scenes... Chronicle is really it, the best example of this is it allows you to do scenes that you would never get in a normal movie because they're so small and weird. Just a camera comes on and someone's just doing a weird dance and then camera turns off again. And, and I wanted it to be for the first act. Oh, cute animals. I'm using these animals to spend more time with this boy I like. I'm using these animals to connect with my mom, who's like, what type of animal is this? And is getting really fixated with Wikipedia and is looking up this incident at the clamp, you know, the clamp tower. And she's like, clamp? Isn't he running for president? You know, like Trump, you know? And, and then the second act is, you know, eat after midnight. There's way more of them. Is like a disaster movie except for very funny and wacky as the gremlins begin to be everywhere. And, you know, they're filming them like, oh, Jesus, the town spins out of control. But then what I wanted to do is in the third act of the movie, the gremlins get the camera. And they, they, uh, they are filming our leads. And suddenly, since gremlins are lemurs, man, they move, especially with CG now. I'd want to have a lot of puppet gremlins, but a lot of CG gremlins so we could have so many, like the big scenes in Clamp. But... Since I want scenes, I had this idea for this chase where the gremlins are chasing them, and the way they're chasing them is by jumping and running along lampposts and billboards in the side of buildings in the town. But the gremlins think it's so funny to film them that our heroes are running up basically the middle of the street, and we are getting a steady cam crane shot as the gremlins are passing the camera back and forth. 
to each other from above chasing the heroes. And you get a third, you suddenly can make it like a real movie because a gremlin can be anywhere. And you know, the, you hear the gremlin saying like, oh, go wide, go wide, go wide. Oh, it looks great. You know, you're like hearing them so impressed with their own filmmaking. I don't know. I, I always wanted to tell so you. So who did it. you pitch this to? Uh, my manager is an agent and then an exec somewhere at Warner Brothers who was like, well, we're not going to reboot Gremlins anytime soon. And then apparently they've been trying for years. Uh, and they're like, we just can't break it. How can a movie be scary and funny? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, he's a, he's a character. <laughs> he is. I mean, you know, it's funny because I, I, I'll be honest. I do not want to watch that movie. I don't think I could take an hour and a half of that. So, although I do like the go wide, go wide. I love that. Yeah, this is the thing. I, I, he does have this ability to just sell me on stuff. He does, man. Yeah. And then there's two people that we're going to end with who I was really surprised that I was able to sell them on this idea. And that was a kind of the remarkable thing. I, I discovered uh, in, in the months leading up to the, the new Pee Wee Herman movie coming out that Kid Cudi was a, a big Pee Wee fan. And I was like, that would be so cool if I could get them to sit down together. Right. We talked about this. It was one of those moments, you know, the way so many of these Talk House podcasts come together is us sitting around and saying, what would be fucking cool to listen to? Who, who would we love to hear in conversation? Now, you came up with this mm-hmm. and we all agreed it was a great idea, but it was sort of one of those like, okay, we're going to swing for the fences, you know. It's probably not going to happen. Don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. I was yeah. not holding my breath. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, so I emailed Cuddy's manager and, you know, he just was like, yeah, he'd love to do this. Whatever, whenever, wherever, just say, just, just tell us the info. And, and You'd really correctly read the magnitude of fandom and respect that Kid Cuddy has for Paul Rubens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just found, you know, I found out on Twitter that, that like he was a Pee Wee fan and that was, I was like, it was just this little shred of something. So you hopped on a plane from Brooklyn, you flew out to Los Angeles. Yes. To, uh, to help facilitate this. Yeah. I was there because I was just like, it was this weird thing of like, I do not, like I want to be on the ground for this thing because I do not want this thing to fall through. Right. And sometimes we'll produce by phone. We'll, we'll hire an engineer or a studio in Los Angeles. Yeah. We'll have them patch us in by phone. We'll talk to the artist. But this one, you were there. You flew in for this. This was a big one. And, 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 and I just want to say parenthetically, this turned out to be one of the most popular episodes of the TalkHouse podcast that has ever come out. And that includes TalkHouse Music and TalkHouse Phone podcasts. Yeah. People love this one. Yeah. Why? I think for me, sometimes the, the, the really special thing is, is when something's surprising. And, you know, there was a news element to this as well because Cuddy talked about the, he was writing a, a pilot for a TV show and, and Paul Rubens was, he wants him to be in it. So that, that definitely helped. But I think that people were just like, wow, like those two guys, they're, they're talking to each other and they're, they're friends. And I think that there's one thing worth, worth mentioning is as the podcast was about to start, I just sort of explained the format to Paul and I said, you know, he's going to be asking you questions most of the time, but you know, I try and make it be that there's like a back and forth. Right. These aren't interviews. These are conversations. Yeah. And I was like, so, you know, you can ask him questions as well. If the stuff that, that you want to find out about, you should just ask him. And he didn't really respond. But the thing that I really think made this conversation what it is, is that Paul's generosity and, and the way that he sort of turned things on to Cuddy and, and, and asked him questions it really opened him up and 
you know, obviously since since this conversation, this more stuff has come out about Cuddy and, and, and the stuff that he's been dealing with that makes a lot more sense when you listen back. Again, it's one of those moments where in the room you're you're like, this is a special thing that, that I'm getting to listen to. And Nick, when you mentioned what he's been going through, for the listeners who, who maybe aren't aware, he's had some very serious depression issues. Yeah. Uh, he actually went to, I, I, I'm not sure what you'd call, uh, a psychiatric facility of some sort. He went into rehab, yeah, and, and he's he's out now again. And I, I his his new record is very much addresses a lot of the issues uh, that, that he was dealing with as well. So Nick, this particular clip that we're going to play for them, what's happening in the conversation? So they first met at, a, at an HBO Emmys party in, in 2011, and this is them talking about that moment when they first met. You looked at me and you did kind of geek out and I did the same thing. Yeah. I mean, and you said this already. We had this very real moment, I felt like, where we yeah. just went like, went like, I like you and you like me. Yeah. And like, let's say hi. Yeah, and I was definitely in a weird place in my life at that time. And, and I mean, because fame is a weird thing and I was adjusting. So to see you brought me back to Scott in the midst of Kid Cudi, HBO, you know, what was happening, How to Make It in America it brought me back to like this kid and it was like pure in the moment. So that, that's why I say I, it's something I always remember because at that time I was definitely troubled and dealing with a lot, you know, just, I think I released, I was working on releasing my second album by then. I had the HBO show going on and I didn't know what the fuck was going on and like in the, around me. You it's know, confusing. It's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a weird time for so, sure. Yeah, so it was like, Man, I didn't know if I was ever going to make it past that year. So I was like, man, I saw Paul Rubens, man. Yeah, <laughs> I can die tomorrow. Yeah, it's cool. I felt the same way. Yeah, I really did. That I, I remember that moment really, really crystal clear, like five yeah, years ago. Hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. And that's, I don't have, um, I think the other person I met that night where I geeked out was Stan Lee. And, and that's the only other person I met that night. It's interesting because he said he knew who I was. And I was like, I didn't know, you know, but it doesn't matter. I, I was like, man, this is pretty awesome. But I don't, I don't meet people like that and I don't go to those parties anymore. So when I do connect with people, it doesn't even matter in the business in life, I, I like to keep them, you know, and stay close to them. It's, that's a, that's a, a, a real connection, a real energy that you just can miss in a town like this. You also like to get, like, you're like, I said a minute ago, you're you're funny, but you're also very serious. Like, that's yeah, a great yeah. mixture. That's, a, that's I feel like that's my mixture. That's Joe's mixture. Like, yeah. a lot of my friends and people that I connect with, it's fun. Like, when, when we first hung out, the first time we hung out after we met, we got, like, deep really fast. Yeah, like, we yeah, just yeah. all of a sudden were having, like, a real serious conversation oh, yeah. about stuff we covered like funny subjects but yeah. we but we got real serious too and that's yeah. always like refreshing is like kind of a bad word i don't know what's no, the right word I mean, but, it, I, but i like is the that. word i mean for sure because it's a, when did, when do you have that in this town and and two people from two different worlds and you know in a day and age where everything's so everybody wants to be so segregated and it's all the shit going on in the world and, and there's so much ugliness it's like man we need more love and, and people embracing one another in that way just you know appreciating each other's art is a, is a great start and um i don't know man i i'm, I'm just big on just being being upfront <laughs> about shit and especially when someone has touched my life in a way especially through their work and you have um we didn't have shit but we had a TV and we had you on Saturdays and Sundays, whatever it was. I think it was Saturdays, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, that was cool. It helped us forget about what was going on. The fact that we didn't have much, but we had fucking PB's Playhouse and that was cool. 
Nick, I really, I feel like that's powerful on a couple levels. Um, on the macrocosmic, obviously, um, Cuddy's talking about, I mean, so many things, man. That you, you know, there's obviously the socioeconomic, there's obviously the socioeconomic stuff he's talking about, mm-hmm. but um, there's also this sort of theme which which we noticed in a number of podcasts throughout the year of the sort of redemptive quality of art, the sort of ability of art to help people through these horrible times in their lives. Yeah. You know, horrible for myriad reasons. On the sort of microcosmic level, it's so powerful because this is a guy who's now, I think, 32, Kid Cudi. Mm-hmm. He's talking about meeting Stan Lee and Pee Wee Herman at a party. These are huge figures for, for our generation. You know, Stan Lee, who runs Marvel Comics, and Pee Wee, who's fucking Pee Wee. <laughs> Cuddy is this guy who's a great collaborator. Anyone who follows his music knows this. He's worked with a lot of big rappers, a lot of big producers. He's a very collaborative guy. And here he is connecting in the same way that he does musically with Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. That's the only podcast I've ever flown somewhere. And it may be the only one I ever fly somewhere to to, to be present for. But, um, you know, and entertainers, actors, musicians, you know, they're the way that they're able to be present when there's all this other stuff going on is a very particular thing. And, you know, I think when the, the, the moments that we've featured on this podcast are often an example of, of the way that people are able to forget all that other stuff and just be themselves with, with another person. It's so true. And, and I don't want to be too hyperbolic on this, but I do just want to acknowledge that I found Cuddy's candid approach to his conversation with Paul to be very inspirational. And, and, and that's something that thematically was really big to me throughout this year's podcasts. Um, from, from Jesse Klein being able to sort of laugh at her own ridiculous behavior to Michelle Gondry's ability to explore the way that pain has informed his art over decades mm-hmm. to Terrence Nance's just willing to be so candid in a way that's typically not sanctioned by the media. Yeah. Um, and, and I was very inspired by these people. That's this. I love my job. It's pretty awesome. One of the things you said about Cuddy, uh, th- he said at one point during the podcast, he was like, I was going to email you about this, but I wanted to save it. And I think it is that thing of like, you have two people in a room where you can truly interact with somebody. That's the best way to have a conversation. It's so powerful. On that note, Nick, Congratulations on a big year. We had so many cool things happen last year. And and I just want to take a moment to thank some of the other people whose names you might not hear on the podcast for the listeners. Uh, our publisher, Ian Wheeler, the president of TalkHouse, Dan Petruzzi, our marketing and social guru slash everything, Dave Lucas, and our head engineer, Mark Yoshizumi, who is so often behind the boards and out of public view. Kellyanne Conway, uh, Chris Christie, there's a whole team. There's a whole team. <laughs> I'm Elia Einhorn, TalkHouse film producer. I'm Nick Dawson, currently about to resign as TalkHouse Films editor-in-chief. <laughs> Thanks for spending this time with us. Here's to a wild 2017. Mm-hmm.